0: Welcome to How Do You Engineer, your sometimes sour, always sweet
1: podcast, pasteurized for your safety. I'm a host, Peter Merton.
2: I'm a host, Abby Desjardins.
1: And I'm also a host, Simon Whitmell. And you are?
3: I'm a guest. My name is Dominic Abe.
1: Ooh, a new guest. A new guest. Yay. Well, it was the same guest every week. I don't know. <laughs> It'd I, be I a little boring. If they were popular enough. Maybe. People put up with us every week. Wouldn't they just be a host if they were the same guest every week?
0: Ooh, philosophical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So Dominic has his guest beer prepared. I We're do good indeed. Good to go.
3: I am a fan of the Vice and I've got myself a Hop City lawn chair. Perfect.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you can drink it during the podcast and well, tell us thank how Thank you it very went much.
3: Down. All yeah. right. We'll let you know.
1: So
0: Dom is here to talk about how food things are made or engineered, I guess is a, a more mm-hmm. fitting phrase for our tagline. Yeah. And uh, also a little bit about life itself. I don't know.
3: Yeah, I think so. We'll
0: see where this goes. <laughs> <laughs> there,
3: were, there, were, there were some interesting changes between the uh, the time I was asked to be on the podcast and the time that I'm sitting here now. So well, I have a bit of a story to tell, I guess. That'd be good. Fun times. Mm-hmm.
1: But right. uh, I guess we should start as uh, as usual with uh, making up things about engineering, pretending to know how to engineer things.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: It's not. We're just. We're. We're not claiming to know. We're just thinking like engineers, thinking out loud.
0: We can claim to know. <laughs> it's all true. Everything we say, hundred percent. Until somebody uh, actually li- calls us on it.
3: I have a license. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I'll stamp. You're it. our first actual <laughs> professional engineer. Yeah, I got my P-engine cover six seven weeks ago. Oh there. wow! Congratulations! Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you very much. You, so can, you, you can
1: stamp our podcast. Stamp all things. All sorts yeah. of things. Yeah. I, have a,
3: I have a holster for it. I just go around. <laughs> no, that's very responsible. That's, that's, Dom, that's Dom illegal. Dom yeah.
1: ends up in the
0: blue pages yeah. for Eight weeks podcast. later, Dom doesn't have a license anymore. Yeah, that, that wouldn't go
1: very well. All right, so uh, we got one of our first pieces of uh, viewer feedback, and it was from... Viewer feedback? Listener. Yes, listener feedback. What was it? I can't remember what I said before. It sounded like, oh, people calling in. Yeah. yeah. We, we don't have a phone number. No. Um, yeah, Say so listener feedback and it was uh Cameron said that we should talk about something mundane like engineering something that you see every day but never think about. Yes. I think his suggestion was cardboard boxes or packaging in general packaging, probably. Yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I've I've experienced with packaging. <laughs> I feel like that, <laughs> that like didn't mean statement. it like that. This
1: episode's going to go so well. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so So
0: so do we have a specific, because I think the example that I had in our, in our pregame show was how would you put a green desk chair into a box? Yeah. It's gotta be the desk chair.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I feel like the first thing everyone thinks of is those like crazy plastic vacuum seal packages. The ones like the clamshells you can never get anything out of. Yeah. Those
2: are the worst.
1: I feel like that's probably not, uh, my understanding is they're like crazy like that because it's hard to steal. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, like, a cardboard box, you could open it, you could take the thing out, you close it. It's not—you can't really see that it's been opened.
0: But they're nicely rounded. You could pretend it's, like, some sort of growth that you have that no one wants to talk about as opposed to a, a box under your shirt is quite obviously a box.
1: Yeah, but inside the, like, clamshell is, like, an RFID tag or something. Oh, okay, I think
3: the clamshell is mostly about showcasing the product.
1: Well, that's also people want to has. Like,
3: people want to take a look and see exactly what they're buying instead of a picture of what they're buying.
1: Yeah That's probably true In any case Everyone hates them
3: So we shouldn't Yeah they're the worst No let's not
1: do that And it also <laughs> wouldn't work that well I mean like a giant one for a chair Would just be hilarious Huge <laughs> injection molded
3: If you want If you want <laughs> like <laughs> I know a lot about food process Like packaging If okay. you guys want to talk about yeah. like, Tetra packs You guys want to talk milk bags You guys want to talk Boxes Could we, we Tetra pack a chair
1: Because that would be awesome Um, <laughs> do pack- number of things You could do packed. I suppose It's uh, office chair
0: In natural juices So are we are, Okay here's a here's a question for you are we gonna start where we've started in previous episodes where like fundamentally we start from not having cardboard and we have to make cardboard or are we assuming that we can go to the cardboard store and buy our cardboard and then it's just a matter of making it the right shape or like what are we
3: starting with we
2: start with the seed of a tree
3: (laughs) you gotta milk the cow first man are we
1: right. oh, okay? Are we sticking with the with the chair? Actually, I think it, like, going with a food package sounds good. Yeah, like, okay. pick a food. That's what relevant. do we want to yeah. package? Would I propose so, a food.
3: I, I would say because something. If you guys are curious about, I could maybe lend a lend us some insight. Give us some legitimate oh, gonna answers. Have, this
1: is going to be like not one of the ridiculous ones. Okay. No, this is going to be serious <laughs>
3: business. <laughs> you can you can package maraschino cherries if you want. I don't really care.
1: Okay, so I want individually packaged clamshell maraschino cherries. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so. Individually packaged, like maraschino clamshell cherries. Your first issue is keeping them clean.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, because you can't really vacuum pack them because they're kind of squishy, right?
3: Well, vacuum. You know, vacuum packing is fine, but your packaging has to start clean because any surface that's touching your food stuff that isn't clean when it starts. Okay. Has so to, is- has to, and has to resist being cleaned afterwards as well.
0: What uh- if you grow cherries that have?
3: a bottle around them already no
0: no no no. like oranges <laughs> like they have it they have a thick skin that you don't care about
3: you just discard oh well that's just annoying you just hybridize oranges and cherries
2: it's like natural packaging yeah
3: yeah like more bananas yeah so you're not packaging so much you're just bundling and tossing them in a box well i'm talking about like soup <laughs> <laughs> I, you're laughing I've, I've been drenched in soup i've been drenched in brine i've been Ooh, you, walking they, up they, hell both ways <laughs> But, uh, no, that's...
1: Okay, Tetra Packs I find really interesting, because I feel like that's something that's way underused
3: tetra Pak is actually the biggest supplier worldwide of food packaging just like they make and like i want to say something like 70 percent of all food packaging
1: it's, i didn't realize tetra Pak was a brand name oh Neither yeah did i oh
3: it's they're huge they used to own, it's tetra and alpha laval which is like the biggest supplier of dairy and dairy products and as well like motors and valves oh that's so they used a to they were <laughs> mer- they used to actually be merged okay uh they unmerged again and te- so Tetra, and you have Tetra and Laval, and then this kind of two sides of the business, and they pretty much ran the food industry for a while. Wow, that's really cool. So the thing with Tetra packs, uh, or the reason why they're so good, is because they come from a roll. Oh, like those juice boxes come off a roll, yeah, and they're just cut and folded and yeah. done, and it's all done cleanly at high temperature. And the um, the juice boxes that come off the line can actually be sterilized afterwards as well.
1: So it's like it's like food origami
3: yeah actually that's probably the best way to say it that's I mean, awesome and so yeah, yeah think, they um the a lot of the, that's why a lot of people start you see like baby food in pouches yeah pouches are cheap pouches cost you like a tenth of a cent because they come off a roll
1: i mm. feel like now mm. we should just package everything in food origami no uh-huh. just general origami
2: everything in tetra yeah. packs
1: well no i want, like i want my chair to come in like i don't know a big swan and then i unfold it inside as a chair yeah. we need a cool brand name like fugami Ah, Mm -hmm. no, but that's, see, that's, that's food. We need just like,
0: I don't know. Okay. Uh, I have a, I have a little side story that I'm going to steal from another podcast. I'll, I'll try to put it in the show notes when I remember what it was. Um, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about the origins of many of the foods and food packaging that we encounter every day coming from the military primarily. Yeah, And the influence of the military on food and food packaging, especially preserved and shelf-safe foods, but also things like Tetra Packs, which were originally developed by the military for food.
3: Yeah, in, um, for increased, increased shelf life and all that. Yeah. You know, pasteurizing technology.
1: MREs and all that. Yeah. Well, that was, a, yeah, cool. I can go back to like Napoleon that wanted, mm-hmm. that was why you have canned foods or jarred yep. foods.
0: Canning was uh, developed by the military.
1: Yeah. That was what Pasteur was trying to do, was get money from Napoleon.
0: The funny thing is, a lot of it's things that children are drawn to, which was interesting too.
3: No, they love. Uh, I'm telling you, those pou- those baby food pouches. Yep. they sell like they sell like hotcakes.
1: The little them. yogurt squeezy things. So yeah, <laughs> well, that's pl- what I gotta say. Maybe it's not just children, because I was at the grocery store the other day and they had uh, like applesauce, but in a squeeze tube. I, was oh, like, yeah. I, ha- I haven't thought. Man, I want applesauce in a long time, but
3: I did then. But now is now it's in a squeeze <laughs> tube.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's like space applesauce.
0: <laughs> so if if they have if packaged. Portable yogurt is gogurt. Than is packaged portable applesauce, gapple sauce, gable gas, just go
3: sauce, go, go, really sauce. go sauce. Oh yeah. man! Well, you sprinkle a little meth in there.
1: Whoa! Uh, oh, go sauce. He does marketing too. <laughs> <laughs> the first pack of applesauce is free. <laughs> All right. Um, so we settled on origami for packaging. Origami, or
0: I yeah. really liked my idea of growing oh, food yeah, already inside a yeah, if we but can,
1: if you can genetically engineer, that, yeah, that's a genetic engineering issue.
3: Well,
1: it's still engineering. Yeah, but then okay, but then can you grow an office chair that comes in a Ryan off Just shape yes. the wood.
3: Bam- <laughs> they make bamboo.
1: Spirals. You can grow office chairs. All right, I want to see. A- you just need time
0: and research funding. Yeah, a that's, lot everything of research funding.
3: Yeah, Pretty I'm much like everything. Bamboo. Start with bamboo.
0: Grow it into a chair.
3: Yeah, grow it and grow it into a shape
0: yeah i feel like a lot of things would be done well if you just started with bamboo
3: plus bamboo grows really fast yeah mm-hmm. they used to torture people by strapping them to the ground and having bamboo seedlings like grow up into them i oh remember seeing gosh. that on
1: like MythBusters. that was crazy
3: yeah like supposedly the, you can almost see them grow yeah wow mm.
1: we're Who knew? getting so many fun facts today i know we got yeah. to the fun it's so facts full yet. of fun facts anyway okay i like that and uh yeah, sure certainly we can find somebody who actually like who knows about other kinds of packaging that'll tell us all about it. So.
0: Yeah, if you know about packaging, tell us on hit us up on the Twitter scopes and Facebook spheres
1: except for food packaging cuz we've already learned all about that.
0: Yep. It's going to be- All right, so next uh I think where we'd like to go is where we normally go which is for our humble guest, or not so humble guest as it may be, to uh, tell us about your life. What how, what brought you to food process engineering?
3: Mm-hmm. All right. So I'll give a bit of background on myself. Um, so I, like many other high school students, um, thought that school was pretty easy and that uh, I was going to save the world by being a doctor. I applied to a couple of programs, got into a couple of schools, and in the end settled on a biotechnology degree at the University of Ottawa. And actually Ooh. went around to my uh, Yeah. I went uh, I think I went around to you, Pete, and I laughed. I was like, Look at this stupid program. It's four years of science, a summer semester, a year of engineering, and it's a double bachelor degree. You start in biochemistry, and then you finish in chemical engineering. That's oh like twice God. the deal. Yeah. Well, I figured it was a good value, right? So, <laughs> you six, pay same tuition. Yeah, six, yeah. six years, two degrees. I'm like, okay, it can't be that bad. Yeah, it's not terrible. Well, it uh, was interesting in a lot of ways because it started me in science, and I realized pretty early on that I didn't have the uh, work ethic to become a medical school student. It uh, wasn't particularly competitive either, and I noticed it was pretty cutthroat in the sciences. Mm-hmm. And um, I realized that engineering was going to get me a job.
1: That's why we're all here.
3: <laughs> <Yep>. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only reason. But uh, no, it's actually funny. I, I had a pretty roundabout way of uh, getting into engineering. Uh, kind of took the backdoor uh, route. And then um, afterwards, the, uh, grad- my graduation was 2009, and uh, there were no jobs. So yep. engineering Surprise. yeah engineering still didn't uh, get me as far as I thought.
0: I actually went into engineering to get a job because my alternative was jazz performance. So
3: Your dad would I hear have been, they're your, hiring. your PhD dad would have been so proud. Well, actually he probably would have Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> my dad's pretty awesome.
3: Yeah, I, I love that guy. But um yeah, so no jobs. I turned down a couple of jobs uh that were just just brutal and I thought that, you know, I, I really wanted more for myself. And so I went back and, uh, convinced someone to take me as a master's student at McGill. Uh, spent two and a half long and terrible years at McGill, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, promoting I, all the programs. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> really. So
2: positive things to tell say. me how you really feel,
3: Dominic. <laughs> um, no, I had, a, I had a really tough time with it at McGill. It, um, I, like the research I was doing was, uh, was, wasn't easy. wasn't a lot of support involved. And, uh, I worked with a government lab where there was some like academic sabotage going on oh my god and then oh and within like the first three months i think my research topic got scooped up by by another lab that was like from the states that was just oh like, yeah i remember ch- that yeah. yeah
0: like a year in you read a paper that was your project
3: yeah they had like an industrial like paper mill basically running out of this one guy's lab in my uh, in my field and he covered what i was doing within oh my the first god. couple of months That's so a I, have an, I have an interesting
0: side story before you go any further even yeah, though it's probably going to become only more relevant um fun fact go for it abby's fiance Mm. he is currently doing a master's in pretty much what you did
3: no way uh microbial electrolysis or some microbial fuel cells
2: maybe
0: (laughs) abby's a typical fiance where she only knows the words
3: oh yeah that's
2: something about biobutanol something about efficiency something about climate (laughs) Yeah, That's close uh, enough. I'm not a chemical engineer. <laughs> the
3: one thing you'll need to know about, well, butanol, I don't know what's so much about, buty- butyric acid smells like dirty feet. That's so, good to know. I don't know if your fiance ever comes home.
0: Domics, failing, of the day.
3: <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna make me look bad when we finally do get to a fun fact. I know, yours is gonna be yeah.
1: lame. Oh.
3: But, uh, yeah, so I had a tough time in a master's degree. Um, And I kind of uh, decided to stay the course, Uh, wrapped up my research there, and then um, moved moved from Montreal back to Toronto, and within about a month or two, found myself a job in automation engineering, which... um, Is
0: what I went to school for.
3: Yeah, I guess what you went to school for. Um,
0: I was supposed to learn PLCs, and I never did. No
3: way. I uh, had no idea what I was getting into i I was like I was chemical engineering I was environmental kind of like bio environmental engineering and uh again, I was so terrified having my previous experience with like the job hunt just being so depressing, I was like all right whatever it is, I'll do it and uh I used to always say that the two things that i am very uh i guess bad at or particularly um s- how do I say weak or weak points I guess in my knowledge were computer communications and electrical and electrical engineering it's
0: not a job interview you don't have to no say I know. That, like it's it's <laughs> things that you're you're challenging yourself no, no. to but this is, this improve
3: is a, but those were the two things that I ended up primarily doing and I just thought it was particularly funny that those are like two things that I really sucked at when I went in That's but fair. um no I um so I basically went into food process engineering and um my company was uh They call themselves an integrator, and their job basically was to take a client's idea or a client's um, vision or or even just a broad outline of like, I want to make yogurt. um, (laughs) They always have that voice. (laughs) (laughs) They really do.
1: Having worked for a company, like like that sort of uh, uh, idea incubation. Yeah, a lot of customers come in.
3: Especially when they're like, Greek yogurt's a thing. We should make it. Right. And then you're like, uh, okay. But, uh, yeah. So these guys basically, um, uh, they know all of the, the people who, you know, weld the pipes and, you know, buy the motors and everything. And you basically put it together and automate it and program it. And it's all done with PLCs. And, um, yeah, it's stuff is, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, you end up with what looks probably usually like a, a kettle or two to mix your stuff and a pasteurizer. And then you dump it off to a filling machine. Good to go.
1: Are the filling machines like a standard thing? Like
3: filling machines are there's processing and then there's packaging. And the packaging is kind of what we talked about. The packaging side is something I didn't deal as much in, and it is mostly like kind of a black box issue as far as like my job goes, because those machines are really complicated.
1: Yeah, it always seems like you watch the machines going, and they're like putting stuff in bottles at an yep. unreasonable rate. Yeah, yeah they always just
0: slow it down on how it's made or whatever, it's just so you can. That's exactly yeah. see what's happening. Yeah, the
3: stuff moves crazy. I was recently working at a plant where they're making soft drinks, and they must be filling a hundred cans a second. That machine is just flying, and they're they're filling cans like they're coming off the line so fast you can't. And I mean, you're the, the reason why I say it's a black box. Like you need to be a like. Basically, a high precision mechanic to to work on those. You're working with tolerances on the order of like millimeters or less.
1: You're into like aerospace tolerances because you're going things are moving. The so stuff fast.
3: is yeah, the stuff is moving really fast, and you're dealing with you're dealing with like liquid flow issues, right? Like how do you how do you even get how do you fill a 355 mil can in you know what what's a hundred and, like a hundredth of a second, basically.
1: Then you're into fluid dynamics, which is just
3: yeah. black
0: black magic. Well, yeah. I, I dealt
3: with it. We bought, A bunch uh, of
0: guys with famous names who came up with some constants that seemed to mm-hmm. work and go from there.
1: I divided by 3.13, and all of a sudden everything worked. So that's going to be the constant now. The Simon mm-hmm. number.
3: Yeah. Well, the Romans used 3, so <laughs> 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 you're doing a lot better.
1: That comes up a lot,
0: actually, in engineering. I, from my thesis, I came across um, a concept that had been – Taken to a more heuristic level, at least, by my supervisor. It was literally that. It was, for this algorithm, there's an exponent. Usually the exponent of two is effective. So most people just use two. But we don't really know why it's effective or what a better thing is, but just use two. And then his PhD thesis was, maybe two is not always the best way to go. Maybe we <laughs> could do something else.
2: Official title.
1: Yeah. <laughs> maybe two. <laughs> <laughs> two in a bit. No, I mean like it's in. Uh, I went to school for interface design, and there was an entire you could take entire classes on heuristics. It was all just like, well, people seem to like things that look like this, so design things that look like that.
3: At that yeah. point, you're almost into psychology.
1: Yeah, no, it, for sure. It's it's, it's just a, the the science of making the best guess
3: when you're dealing with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no kidding.
1: But yeah, you're not guessing. Well, you're guessing when it comes to fluid, but
3: you're not. You're making educated guesses. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're high precision approximations.
1: Yeah, as, as opposed to when you're trying to do like the flow of people, then the, the, you can't do fluid dynamics nearly yeah. as well with them.
3: But I, you'll find at the workplace, at least when I was there, like you, we didn't really work in that kind of precision, like food processing. um Again, you're kind of you kind of go with whatever the people are selling, I guess. If like we dealt with a filler once, and it had been filling wine, and we're like, oh well, we need one for chocolate syrup, and this one was cheap, so we bought it. Well, wine and chocolate syrup don't fill the same way in a vacuum filler.
0: <laughs> I can believe that.
3: Right. And uh, actually, we, we expected that the, the chocolate syrup would flow a lot more because we were going to be filling it at 70 or 80 degrees Celsius and um, didn't behave the way we expected. So we ended up with huge issues with uh, fluid friction and right. viscosity. Yeah. Because
1: like I guess like the chocolate sauce would have solids in it and it would be…
3: No, no like- solids, just a lot of sugar. Oh Hmm. hfcs that That stuff is everywhere
0: at that point your recourse should just be convincing your customer that they don't actually want to use chocolate they want to do wine
3: yeah (laughs) yeah that's uh, that would have that would have helped yeah that would help because and the the funny part there is too because you're testing it you're testing with water because water's cheap you say oh it works fine with water Uh, it'll be great with the chocolate syrup yeah Yeah. (laughs) Uh, not as much
2: in my experience water and chocolate syrup are not the same thing well yes. again, we, again
3: we were expecting it to be a lot better at eighty degrees, okay. the stuff will flow a lot more at high temperature, but no, <laughs> like again, the dynamics change, and you have a uh, well high precision parts, basically, you need millimeter accuracy, and we weren't getting it
0: so then, what do you do like what's what's your recourse if you buy a thing that's though cheap, probably still expensive, and you're faced with a situation where it's either not going to work or requires a whole lot of retooling? Do you just suck it up and deal or?
3: Um there's a couple of options there uh we ended up and this I, whether luck, whether by luck or skill um the best thing you can do is find someone who works only on filling machines and they 're hard to find, so we ended up coming we've we've we talked to a guy or we found him somehow, and he had like twenty five years working with filling machines Wow right and so once you
1: find a niche something that you're good at designing yeah, yeah
3: so once you find a guy like who knows what he's doing and has like worlds of experience he's like oh, i've seen this right like what you really need is what you really <laughs> he's need is like a is- guru
0: you go to mountaintop yeah <laughs> and, and you find the filling machine guru and he yep. says ah yes chocolate he's like oh, I, I have seen chocolate chocolate syrup through a
3: vacuum filler oh yes you're gonna need special filling heads and you're like oh now i see <laughs> right but like it honestly it comes down to experience having like um like a mechanic or a machinist or, you know, a filling expert, that's, to be honest, that's the best thing you can do is get someone on. And my company, we were an integrator. We did food processing. We were actually a little over. We were out of our depth doing packaging, which is – and we had relied on a guy to kind of partner with us on the project who was basically a hack. (laughs) So that's, you know, and that's that's really where the experience gap comes in because, you know, you can't be an expert in everything. That's just – yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. And so you really, yeah, like the best thing you do is if you don't have a guy on your, on board who knows yet, find a guy on board and pay him whatever he needs. Cause that, like, that kind of experience is so valuable.
1: And then try mm-hmm. to learn whatever you can from him while he's in the building.
3: <laughs> yep. That too. Cause that's, you know, and I guess a lot of the, um, a lot of the stuff has to, like I, I guess you guys do this with the, you know, the kind of engineering you do especially, but like everything, it, if you prepare it properly, it'll like it'll like it'll run its course well. So I think a lot of the like if you can, the more work you can do without being on site, the more work you can do in preparation, the the better off you are. Because if you if you get on if you get on site and you don't have a plan, or you you know you run into a hiccup where you're like oh well our filler is the wrong filler like that's that's something yeah. you should hopefully you should kind of figure out ahead of time um, and before you even get to that stuff. And once you're in it, you're in it, but the, the, there are a lot of things that you like, uh, and this again comes from experience. You got to look out for and avoid at all costs.
1: Like, so, how far would you go with a system like that? If you're setting up a, uh, you're saying before you get on site, you'd be setting up a test setup when you're where you're working. Would you have a whole line set up before, or individual chunks, or
3: no? You wouldn't. It wouldn't necessarily do that, but you would be talking to a guy who hopefully knows what you're making. So he says, "Oh yeah, I've done this before." Or, oh, okay. you know what I mean? Or he's selling a machine that's specifically designed for that. Or you look it up yourself and you say, well, can you use vacuum fillers for viscous products? And then, you know, the, every, you know, you find someone with experience or you look it up yourself and you say, well, no, that's a bad plan. So, oh, okay, well, then maybe I'll use a positive pressure filler or, you know, any number of other kinds of filling machines. And so you, you know, that, that's the kind of, I guess, setup i'm talking about is yeah you're you're
1: doing your homework you gotta make sure your fundamentals
3: you gotta make sure your fundamentals are there because if that's you know and we were we were on a shoestring budget which is why we ended up getting caught caught off side caught off guard by that
0: it's interesting too because to a certain extent it's it's more specific because of the specialization you have to have for the sorts of things you're dealing with but in a lot of other disciplines again of engineering you have that same step where you've done you know roughly what should happen But you don't know exactly what you should do to make it happen and so in software engineering for instance you just go on stack overflow or you go on google and you're like how do i make this library talk to this library with this api and you're like okay someone else has done this and they found an answer and it's this weird feeling when you go on blogs and sites like that look up a very particular question and no one's done it you're just like oh god I yep. am the only one.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, or you think you are. But yeah, like I, I heard from a friend of mine. He said, honestly, anytime you have an issue, type it into Google. Because yep. chances are you're not the first one. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, those few times where you are or where the question like you, you don't even really know what question you're trying to ask or, you know, what kind of issues are how or if they're overly specific, then, yeah, it's going uh, to cause you. Yeah. yeah, then it's and these experts are hard to find.
0: So I have a, a follow up question along this line and along a similar topic you had earlier my understanding of a lot of what your company tended to do was go to factories where they didn't actually have in-house specialization in these particular types of fields or um, particular problems. And you would consult by basically showing up and solving their problems. So they didn't have to have somebody there to do it themselves. Um, yep, And I a- find that kind of interesting because it's almost like there's this whole ecosystem of companies who hire outside contractors to come in So they don't have to hire their own people that can fix their problems. But then you have to hire outside people to fix their problems because you don't have your own specialization in-house. And then those guys are maybe going to go find some other guru on some other mountain to be like some guy I got contracted to do who I got contracted by someone else who got contracted by somebody else needs to know how chocolate goes through nozzles. And then they find the nozzle guy. And he's no. the, There's really the, the end one. of the chain. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And I've, you know, I've been on projects recently. So I've had, so I've had two jobs now in this, in my career. One of them was with this uh, food process integrator. The other one with uh, chemical engineering, like a food process uh, consulting company. And both of them, yeah, like they just, it's, it's kind of a chain, I guess. So you have like the, you have the person with money or the company with money and they hire, they hire you and then you hire someone else and that person hires someone else. And you have subs of subs of subs of subs of subs. And then by the end, like, Everybody I don't know, it just seems like to me anyways, a lot of times it's a big waste of money because everybody's just making, you know, five points on the next guy. And
1: although I mean if you're the if you're the guy that knows like chocolate sauce, then it, it works out for you because you can work for twenty or thirty different companies rather than having to be like trying to find the niche where you gotta And you
0: everyone know. else doesn't need a chocolate sauce guy. Like if you're if you're an engineering company that does food things and doesn't you everyone get- need a chocolate sauce right guy?
2: Speak for yourself, Pete. Okay. That's no, but fair. I mean,
0: like, no, it, it's fair.
1: No, it's, it's like no, you're not as the chocolate sauce guy working for one company. You're probably not going to be you like your knowledge isn't going to be utilized every day. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be there's a hundred companies out there that all need a chocolate sauce guy uh, one one hundredth of the time kind of thing. Then, then yeah, exactly. It's, it's a viable business model.
3: It can be like I, I ran into this myself. But uh, the idea is that with that kind of expertise, if you're trying to if you're trying to service too many clients, um or if they're relying on specifically you. That, uh, that can be pretty stressful. Like I, I was working as a PLC programmer uh, with about seven or – let's say seven or eight, nine different like high-priority clients. What happens if three of them have a bad day? Yeah. I've done it before. I've been on site uh, with one company online at someone – like online like via my internet telephone hotspot, PLC programming, some other person's ketchup factory you know and then working on and on the phone with somebody else you know trying to you know guide them through an issue with you know shutdowns on their pasteurizing like it um it's it that kind of expertise isn't always critical but the times it is it's yeah it, it can be pretty bad like i've and pete knows this like i've gotten phone calls at you know odd hours and off times and it's um yeah like it, it uh you know you, you it's, it's nice if you can service a lot of different clients or if you can kind of move around uh and work you know for a lot of different people but they they also seem to ask a lot from you because if they don't have that expertise in house and their downtime is 10 20 $50, an hour they're gonna come knocking
1: yeah it pays yeah, for itself pretty
0: that's quick stressful and also you can get into situations where it's you're really in trouble because you don't have that expertise in house like there was a for a long time, a trend online where companies would go to the internet to find specializations for things like R&D, because they don't have an R&D department in-house. Mm-hmm. They can go online, they can find some um, professional R&D developer who's on mat leave, or retired, or... It is in a circumstance where they're not working, but they're online and you can hire them for a nominal fee to solve your problem. How do I fill a toothpaste tube as efficiently as possible? Someone's done it somewhere and they may or may not have a job and they can find you. You can find them. You pay them $10,000. They fill your toothpaste tubes. But you were saying at one point, I remember a while ago that you would deal with companies where they really needed somebody in house. Like yep. they were getting themselves in situations where things were breaking all the time Cause there was nobody there who knew how anything worked Mm -hmm. and then you'd have to fly down to Indiana or whatnot to try to fix their, their valves or poke at things or really simple tech support stuff that you get into in all other fields, but you're flying all the way over to their company just to say, Oh, you guys unplugged this when you were cleaning the floor.
3: Yep. It's that's, uh, and you know, that's part of having, I guess, contractors come in and come out. Um, I've worked for companies where their, their customer service is really good. Uh, we actually picked up a lot of business from other companies whose customer service effectively sucked. They would just show up, show you how to use something, and then kind of wipe their hands and say, "All right, have fun." And then if you wanted to hear, if you wanted to talk to them again, they'd be like, "Well, you know, where's the check?" Basically, they 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 wouldn't. And I started to empathize a lot with more with that because I did a lot of free service calls because people didn't know, like they didn't have the expertise uh, in house, and they just didn't. They had a sophisticated system. In their plant, that they had nobody, nobody knew how to use it, or nobody knew how to fix it when it broke down. Nobody knew how to diagnose it.
1: I, I ran into that a lot actually. The in a previous employment, we'd be dealing a lot with startups, and they'd be a couple of guys who had an idea, and they'd. Uh, we were doing uh, like PCB design, that sort of thing, but they would. It'd be very similar where they we want to do this one, like solve this problem, and they'd uh, come back with. A design, and we go through the design. and Then you'd spend the next whatever three or four months get answering calls from them, being like, "Hey, why doesn't this? Yeah. Why doesn't this work? Why doesn't this work?" And it's like, well, at that point, you probably could have gotten way better just by getting somebody who knew what they were doing from the get-go.
3: Yeah, and I think it's to me, anyways, it has a lot to do with people just cheaping out on 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 engineering,
1: or like, even just like you have to
0: pick and choose. Like, there's there are circumstances where it works, and there are circumstances where it doesn't work. And really, it's down to the management of your company to really make a decision as to whether or not that's an expertise we need and it's going to be worth the money in the long yep. run and it's going to be worth the headaches in the long run for us to get that expertise in-house yeah. mm-hmm. or if it's a one-time thing with a one-time situation maybe it's not really worth it but there, it's that trade-off that you need to know when to make that call yeah
3: these are yeah you're calculating yeah you're, you're calculating risk right like you have a plc it's a industrial logic computer It's designed to be reliable, it's designed to work the same every time. These things they'll they'll be on power for twenty years and they'll they won't skip a beat, you know. But what's your downtime worth, right? If, you know, you have a power surge and you lose a IO card, you know what I mean? Or if you have you know some kind of fault in your PLC. If your downtime is fifty thousand an hour and you'd rather outsource an engineer and just call him, what if he's drunk that day? (laughs) <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm not kidding. That wouldn't
0: happen to you, but other engineers oh, no. would be drunk that day. I, yeah. You're like, always on call.
1: I feel like that's also something we haven't, like, I don't know if it's something I've never really encountered is a customer where their time is worth orders of magnitude more than your personal time.
0: So here's an interesting story. I had a professor when I was in university for digital control or process control, and uh, his background was partially in the nuclear industry where you have very important things. And there are nuclear control guys who would sit in a lounge, read the paper, drink their coffee, look at the news for months. But then if something goes down or something's in trouble, they earn their pay in one day.
3: Yep. Wow. Well, it's yeah. the same with a lifeguard, right? Like, or a bouncer for that matter. A good bouncer. He spends, yeah, right. he spends the whole night staring at, you know, just watching the people go by. But, you know, you're, pay- you're paying him, you know, X, you know, X number of dollars. Because the times when he is needed, he has all the skills and the yeah. expertise to mm-hmm. do, you know, to take to save you a lot of money, yeah, right. Or the nuclear situation, same thing, and so and it needs know, to happen as fast fire, as yeah, possible. They're firefighters, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you got yeah. you want those guys on call, you know. You'd you'd rather you know you, again, it inter-
1: you it's know. interesting you're talking mm-hmm. about the uh, the nuclear industry and also with, like knowing what you're getting into, getting into it. Um, because uh, that was another thing that we did at a previous job was dealing with nuclear plants, and you have one day of downtime. They they take the they take the generators down for one day. You got to swap out if you're designing a new board. It's got to go in and it's got to work that day. Yep. If it doesn't, you there's there is no plan B. It's got to come back out. The old board goes back in. You got to wait six months till the next downtime.
3: Yep. Yeah. The food plant. A lot of the food plants in Canada they'll run seven days. Uh, sorry. The, the food plants they'll run seven days some of them are on 24 hours they run three shifts yeah you may be you you know you have scheduled downtime for uh, statutory holidays or you know depending if it's a union shop or not you know yeah. you have uh, certain intervals
1: and you might know like six months in advance, you're going to have like yep. a, three or four days at this time to swap it with this one machine and it better well, be working and by And You of might it.
3: know a week or two in advance. Or, yeah, they or usually, that day. they yeah. usually call, I've had it before where people call you, they think you're doing you a favor. They're like, oh, you know, in, in, you know, it's Wednesday and Friday morning I have some, I have a six hour window of downtime. You're like, well, yeah, that's great. Uh, be nice to know before, yeah. I, I'm booked. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so. Um, we we kind of uh, wandered a bit there but uh you, yeah. you so day to day you're t- you talk about doing um like heat calls and emergency calls but uh w- yep. what what did like the day to day look like
3: So um the day to day like so I've had two jobs now in engineering. Uh one of them works on the consulting side and the other one uh more on a technical side I guess as a, with this integrator company. Um your day to day um mostly I guess is, you know, your standard eight hours, uh, you're coming in, uh, usually you have a couple of projects on the go. And, um, if you have, you know, if you have an emergency or something like that, you know, usually you, um, your projects last on the order of two to four months.
1: All right.
3: So that way, you know, if you, if you miss a day because of a service call, it's not going to set you back too much. And, you know, the, the, a lot of it, um, yeah, it's just, doing some preparatory kind of programming because if you're installing a new system especially for it's if it's a client that already has like a plant that's running especially on food plants again because it's throughput right like that that plant only makes money when it's running and it costs money all the time so they want to be they want to be making food you know as as many hours of the day as they can and yeah like um yeah so you'll end up with service calls um i would say two to three days a week you'll probably end up on a service call so maybe half or half, on average, let's say half a day, two or three hours or something like that. And mm-hmm. then uh, the rest of the time, yeah, your, your programming project. So if you have you know, a new pasteurizer, uh, you have your PLC programming you got to do, you have your I.O. lists and your safety documentation. Um, you gotta, it, it's a pretty long process. Uh, you kind of get the hang of it, you, but you usually kind of start with an I.O. list as your Bible and then just work from there in terms of uh, your programming. And so then I, I, the last part is user interface, which I think is something you were talking about earlier. Yeah, because we we did all of our stuff with uh, HMIs, uh, human machine interface uh, screens, so mm-hmm. touch screens basically.
1: So I think like we here have a general idea of what PLCs do, but maybe like how does a PLC talk like between what's between PLC and food? Okay.
3: Mm-hmm. So um, a PLC is uh, is just basically a computer, or if you, even just uh, if you want to think about it as like logical circuits that you can program. And these circuits either um, switch uh, outputs on or off. So if you want to think of it as, um, yeah, basically, let's say 10 electrical uh, outputs. So you have um, 10 electrical voltage or power sources, and depending on what, how you program them, those uh, outputs are on or off. And then it's up to you to decide what you want uh, those electrical signals to activate or deactivate. So, if you want, for instance, you can have your first output trigger a valve, or your second output trigger a motor, and
1: and those valves would be like would be a valve in a pipe that's got wine in it, and yep. the motor is driving a pump that's pumping the wine through the pipe, that sort of thing.
3: Absolutely right. And so, and then if you want, you know, if you want your valve to open or close, you can put water in. You can you know you can leave you can close that up again, and the uh, PLC this logic computer basically takes inputs from the environment or from your touchscreen and uses those inputs to decide what to do with the outputs. I,
1: it's it's sort of you're, you're taking what you would have done before with wires and switches and, mm-hmm. and actual logic gates and you're turning it get into, into software yep. and logic or with gates, Or people, right? like
0: at some point yeah. at the initial stages it would have been a guy with a switch and the guy's job would have been when this happens you twiddle this switch, when this thing goes boing 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 you twiddle this switch and you turn this to five <laughs> and
3: yep yeah actually, a-, a lot of it yeah is replacing human effort
0: yeah a lot of automation is just a hu- replacing human experience with mm-hmm. gizmos and duty i mean
3: even now like you have you have an option between a valve cluster and a flow board so a valve cluster is basically a group of valves that can take let's say three incoming pipes and three outgoing pipes and reroute them any like in any combination well you can also do that by actually actively rearranging the connections on the pipes by hand so that's a flow board. So mm. it's, it's usually on a it's usually on a board in front of you, and you just take you know two ports and connect them with a hose or with a, with a jumper. Yeah. But you know that's the automate it. that's that's using human effort. So you have um, you have to pay somebody to do that. Yeah. It's it takes why, w- it takes more time.
1: That's why we don't have switchboards with like ladies who plug mm-hmm. in your call. Yeah. Or, like, and, by hand And human
3: and there, you have to take into account the human error involved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so and even then you have fee- you have feedback switches that can hopefully catch human errors for instance but yeah like even now those technologies persist if if you don't have the money for uh, a like a a, like a i guess a group of valves like a like a valve cluster you 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 get a flow board and you just have a human being do the valve arrangements for you basically
1: oh cool so what's like what kind of scale are these uh the like a plc that you'd be working on is it like is it a plc controlling one machine like you have is it one step of the process or is it one big plc controlling like an entire line or
3: it all depends on uh, i guess how how powerful of a plc you're using um we like i i went to one plant and their whole plant was on one plc that's cool I, I, it seems really that's scary I, I think yeah i think scary. that was a bad idea <laughs> like if that thing faults or fries like your whole yeah. plant if you down. spill brine on it yeah then what or soup Yep, soup.
0: Damn you, soup.
3: Yeah, really. My password was drenching soup. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's never been the same. <laughs> People um, are going to steal yeah, all like, of your money now. You you want a measure of redundancy?
1: Yeah, right. But it's all scalable, is what you're saying. Like it's it, the number of inputs and outputs. You buy yep. a PLC based so, on how many how much I/O you need and that sort of thing.
3: Um, usually the uh, there's a little bit of onboard I/O, but most of the stuff is done with cards. Oh, okay. So you just have expansion modules, and you can you can have as many expansion modules. As you, especially the new school stuff you can mm-hmm. have 128 expand i don't know or some kind of order of two magnitudes but um you uh yeah the, the there's a lot that you can do with these uh you can run a whole plant or you could run you know just a machine hmm. the packaging machines we were talking about earlier those really complicated ones they usually have their own plc
1: yeah okay that makes sense
3: because that's you know they're 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 reacting to such small like variations in you know and they're they're using stepper motors to make sure that you know you're you're aligned every time when you're you know making your cuts or filling up your your levels, so those PLCs will be on their own. The um, yeah the other processes they don't need quite as many. So valves val- a valve is one output, right? If you yeah. want fee- if you want to if you want a feedback on it, you can tell whether or not the valve is open or closed. For instance, that's an input. You know, usually you have sixteen outputs and inputs on a on an expansion card, and you can. 20 of those gets you gets you a lot of action
1: yeah you can control a lot of stuff with that absolutely so i have an interesting
0: oh maybe not interesting but i have a question um
3: <laughs> even if it's a mundane one we'll, we'll still take it
0: it's more sort of a, a way for us to take this convo in a different direction go for it. um i'm wondering about so this that's a really good explanation of what you were doing in terms of controlling things and how when you have a factory in this case a food factory and you get to do things automatically, which people see all the time on shows. Like we mentioned earlier, um, how it's made where, or you a see food factory, sort... which you just said
1: <laughs> a food factory, food factory. It's a show.
2: Yeah.
1: Really? Yeah. On the yeah. food network. It's fantastic. Oh, I don't
3: okay. have TV. It sounds oh, like a well. boy band food
1: factory. <laughs> food
2: factory. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, sorry. I so, well,
0: it's awesome. Oh, great. I like, <laughs> and I got a new boy band. <laughs> so I'm good to go. Um, I can really bring this back to my thought process. Yeah. So um, what happens in the greater process? Like if you take one step higher and you look at a factory that has things that go on one side and food that comes out the other,
2: mm-hmm.
0: how does that process work? Cause I'm interested in how you can relate that process to people in their kitchen. So like if, if you, you, you're a factory and you're going to make ketchup. Yep. What do you buy? And then how do you make ketchup? Okay. Because the, like in, the, you were talking about the, the low level, you need computers that control valves and tubes and pumps, but mm. in the higher level, like what is the overall process you're trying to achieve? Ooh, ooh can we talk ice cream? Oh
3: yeah. yeah that, let's okay. Yeah. Call back to episode Screw, one. Yeah. No more ketchup. We're doing ice cream. Okay.
1: Nobody likes ketchup. Anyway. I've made
3: ketchup. It's not that bad. It's just tomatoes and sugar.
1: Have you made ice cream? Yeah. Okay. So how do you make ice cream? Cause we, we made it up ourselves on episode one. So,
3: so with ice cream, um, ice cream. No, ice cream. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I don't know. You just, your main ingredients basically are cream and sugar. Right. And then you just need to... We got that much right at yeah, least. Yeah, see, I Yay. said that. Yeah. Yeah, and then whatever the flavors. Um, most of this stuff is just like you, you buy in skids. And then... Uh, I. I most people use like humans beings to kind of. Do you just go to like the, the but you,
0: you don't just like go to Longos and be like, I need seven skids nope. of cream.
3: Like, I, I don't know where you get industrial quantities of cream, like in a skid, for instance. That's but, too bad. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Your knowledge is sorely lacking.
3: <laughs> but yeah, this stuff usually How comes in, you in mean skids. To offend you? <laughs> yeah. So you have like a thousand, like a um, basically one cubic meter, like a meter by a meter by a meter. You have these skids that come in, so a thousand liters of. High fructose corn syrup and that's a big one. Yeah, that that stuff. Like I said, that pretty much everywhere. Yeah. But um, yeah, you just mix uh, you mix them together in a kettle with an agitator, and then you probably have a jacketed vessel. Where What's that? A jacketed vessel is one where you can run like hot or cold water around the outside of it in a, in a I guess in the kind of mid space between two layers or two shell layers of a kettle.
2: Oh, like a jacket, right? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so so
1: I was a little off base with the bathtub.
3: It's kind uh, of, it's cold. It's, my well, mom's no, go,
1: first you do take a bath. Yeah, first oh, yeah. you take a bath and then yeah. you go and you get a jacketed vest.
3: Bathtubs are where you make cheese. <laughs> no, my cousin, my mom's cousin did that. Oh. <laughs> that, I, I don't even know how Could to feel scale about that. you that process? Just bigger bathtubs, man. Okay.
1: I, actually, I think I've seen that. I've, I've seen them doing the, like the cheese and it, it looks like a, like a lap pool, only it's full mm-hmm. of milk like lumpy milk yep yeah and they have paddles like uh canoe paddles
3: yeah i was at a a goat cheese factory that then it did yeah it looks like you know you just pour a bunch of goat cheese into what looks like a bathtub
1: actually that was an interesting one. we were talking about machines versus people and uh even the big I've watched big industrial cheese making operations and they've got things like cutting when they're cutting the curds and that, and that could be automated, but you still see it all done. Even in huge factories. Same
0: with tofu. They still make tofu with people cutting tofu and stirring tofu and straining tofu. There's,
3: there's something to be said, and especially with food, um, tradition, right? Like, or people, people kind of like to have, have tradition with their food or especially with the higher end stuff having it made by hand it isn't you know like maybe you could do it a little more quickly or cheaply but there's, there's a there's a kind of a tradition involved and it uh really adds it can really add something to the company so
2: it's or like to the, uh, marketing. to the to the
3: product maybe i don't know if it necessarily adds to the quality or not and it mm-hmm. can but um yeah like i know that the yeah there's times where i know che- there's cheese factories or cheese making plants where they use the same brine Uh, And they've been using it – like, there's places in Europe where they've been using the same brine for 100 years, let's say. They just kind of, like, kind of fill it up again, I guess, or, you know, replenish it. Mm -hmm. But it's that brine that gives their cheese, like, a specific flavor. Oh, so,
1: like, Yeah, literally, like the sourdough in on the West Coast where they say they've been using the same starter for whatever. Same with alcohol, a lot of alcohols. Yeah, like, or,
0: beers are yep. always done whether it's naturally fermented or not, and they have a specific essence because of where they are and the sorts of yeasts they get. And the All same the with lambics. scotches are always a specific water from a specific hill with a specific rock and with the heath. cow poo and stuff that goes into their water it uh, takes me back
3: yeah <laughs> but no that's, that's interesting there's something yeah. to be said for that yeah and i think that I, I think it would be sad if the human element was taken out of uh, food completely because i think that um, and I, I, I joke about this before but like industrial food is gross <laughs> uh, and like industrial quantities of even delicious things are are inherently disgusting
1: so you could take it, something that's fantastic, and then you run it through a machine enough times, and it stops being fantastic. Or it's sheer volume. You,
3: yeah, like I've I've been there where you're making like hot sauce in like 800 liter batches, and you're like, oh, hot sauce, but like it's only good in small quant. Like it's good in small amounts, or it's good when it's out of like a small bottle, and when it's oh. staring you in the face, it's it's
1: interesting because it, there seems to be like a dichotomy there between you're trying to produce something well and produce something consistent but with a a product where sometimes inconsistencies are the things that give it yep. like character
3: or or even yeah with like or you're trying to you know your your margins on food are low like food industry is great cuz it's effectively recession proof people still got to eat yeah but you know the the people's expectations are pretty high and the margins are low yeah and you so yeah, yeah i mean I actually i recently recently bought some cheese believe it or not and it was really soft i wanted che- i wanted to be able to slice it and put it in a sandwich and i couldn't do that because it would just fall apart mm. must have been a bad batch or or a different batch not even a bad one the cheese tasted fine but yeah there is variation you know from batch to batch and being in yeah for me being in food industry that i wasn't necessarily disappointed i figured it was just part you know it's just one of those things
0: hmm. on that note i have another fun fact also stolen from another podcast. Um, I'm just going to put them all in the show notes and we'll advertise everybody else's podcast. Um, the Kikoman soy sauce, mm-hmm. the ki- soy sauce is made using a particular mold. Okay. And, uh, it's fermented in a certain way and you get soy sauce. Um, recently Kikoman had to hire a huge research team because the strain of mold they use is very unsettlingly close to one that's extremely poisonous. Good. And so basically oh, they wow. hired this research team to look at their mold and determine the likelihood of it ever mutating to a form that's poisonous. Okay. And their result was it's not going to happen, but they still had to hire a team to look at this and be like, just in case one day <laughs> yeah. this mold happens to spontaneously morph into something that's going to kill everybody. We should probably know that.
3: Yeah, you, you could even look at that with, I guess natural genetic drift to see, you know, what like what the what the frequencies are for for mutation in general yeah i, guess, I don't want to get too far into
0: this but the, the what yeah. they got out of it as a result was that the differences genetically between the two strains were actually um they were inactive they were the the genes are there but they're inactive and the okay. a probability of them morphing to become active is extremely small oh, it's well, not like they're missing they're yeah. there but they just they're wow. they don't do anything well,
3: that's pretty wild I didn't know that mm.
1: Okay, so you hit on an interesting, you're talking about things, food being dangerous possibly. Um, did you ever encounter like situations? We see recalls all the time on food and people Mm -hmm. being afraid. Is that, is that something that you encountered in your work? Like, we're having to worry about whether you're, you're keeping things safe. I mean, it seems like safety and cleanliness and that is going to be at the top of everyone's list.
3: Yeah. Um, that's not something we had to deal with directly. I know that there were times where we, um, we would monitor a process and say whatever you know, like, or we'd go back and look at the records and say whatever came out from these last two hours. Like, can't leave, can't leave the house
2: because hmm. right? something had gone wrong. Or-
3: yeah, but um, I can't say that we we had that many. Uh, no, I can't say we had any issues with. How with, easy like, is
0: that? Like, it, like I'm sure there's a lot of processes in place that protect everybody and keep themselves and safe and healthy yeah. and stuff. But how easy is it for something to go slightly askew and all of a sudden? you poison everybody
3: it's one of those whatever can go wrong will will go wrong thing like especially for me Murphy's as a log yeah in action yeah it, especially as a programmer you try to put in fail-saves right like you're trying your best to make sure that you have levels of of i guess access or level levels of permission to make sure that your operators can't do something that's gonna you know make bad food or you know tank you know contaminate or but they do. <laughs> right? like, Everybody's everything. gonna go wrong eventually. I, I know. You know, there there are times where oh, this this happened recently. I can't remember where, but we have cleaning. You know, every, everything that every food process, your number one design aspect is cleaning. If you can't clean it, it's it's worthless. Hmm. So every food process needs to be uh, set up in a way that you can run. We use caustic to clean, so you use caustic chemical to run it through high temperature, high pressure and you got to be able to clean it but you know that caustic either gets stuck in the pipes or you know if you have access if if your caustic can get to those pipes that carry product that means they have to like you have to keep them separate you have to make sure that there's never caustic in your product
1: yeah you got to flush it out completely and have time clean so
3: a lot of instruments involved in that a lot of a lot of interlocks and fail safes but you know if uh you know you know you you give a maintenance person aspect or access to you know manually trigger certain valves you know to for you know maintenance purposes and they don't you know log out and remove those accesses and the operators start playing with it you know it's come up before yeah where you know you gotta or you know we had a guy where he dropped a screwdriver into a into a a big bowl of hot sauce like a big kettle of hot sauce with you know 500 liters in it oh man I mean, for, first of all, I mean, you can't let that out the door because it's, con- I mean, you're still going to pasteurize it afterwards, but you can't run it through. Your-
1: <laughs> now with screwdriver flavor. <laughs> well,
3: that's going to ruin it's, your pump.
1: It's special edition.
3: It's going to ruin your pump. Talk well, well, yeah, yeah, about yeah, getting
1: yeah, screwed.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Nailed it. Bam. Pow, oh, pow, 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 pow. Um, no, we've, we've like, my, the clients are, are the ones who, who deal with that. okay and we like we set up a process for them we give them the tools to make safe food products Mm -hmm. and then it's really up to them to to do the diligence to to make sure that whatever they're sending out is is good product right right
2: if you drop a screwdriver into a vat of hot sauce do you have to go hot sauce scuba diving
3: no you just dump the hot sauce like you just dump your product well
2: that's not exciting
3: i don't know i guess in engineering like the least exciting option is the one you really want to go with most of the time isn't it yeah i guess for safety reasons (laughs) but no i mean even getting back to the packaging thing from before like food is cheap like food is really cheap like we're drinking cans of beer how much how much how much do you think the beer is worth out of out of this can
0: i uh 17 cents
3: it's pretty good it's probably 20 I see. Right. It's not see. it has got skills. The, be- the beer is about 10% of the value of Peach a can- should go a on can. the prices, right? <laughs> how, how, how much does a can cost?
0: Oh, the can's nothing. It's less than a cent. No.
1: Oh.
3: The can is 50 cents. Oh, oh man. What? The packaging is more, like, for beer, legacy. especially for beer, the packaging is way more expensive than the actual product.
1: Well, especially because it's got, like, all the, like, it's got not just a can. It's also Labeling. got to be coated on the inside yeah. and coated on the outside. Coated, yeah. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that goes on.
3: Mm-hmm. Beer, yeah, beer is water, sugar, a bit of time, you know, with with some yeast involved. Don't tell brewers that he said that they're going to be angry. <laughs> but, but those those ingredients are cheap. Like, well, I guess that's, yeah, actually, that's actually, that
1: actually that gets back to your thing you were saying was like the human element. It's like yeah, the, the process is really simple. Then yeah. getting the the variation you can get when you add the human element is mm-hmm. amazing.
3: Yeah, yeah. But I remember yeah, I remember seeing that it was it was like a, the beer bible or something that uh, the packet the packaging is more expensive than your product probably yeah by around fivefold. Bottles bottles are a bit cheaper than cans. But, uh, yeah, cans of beer, 50 cents out of, out of your dollar for a beer is probably going to the can.
0: That's why they start to do things like put wine in Tetra Packs because mm-hmm. yep. wine bottles are expensive. And if you can make, put wine in Tetra Packs, it's not going to change the wine. And, and if you're not
3: worried about people judging you. Well, yeah, there's that.
0: I mean, I would never judge anyone for having wine in Tetra Packs. Drinking
3: wine out of a bag.
1: <laughs> yeah, you could drink worse things out of bags. So the reason we don't have beer in Tetra Packs is the carbonation? Like would it just like balloon and explode?
3: Yeah, I imagine it would. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's probably it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we should try. I, I, that sounds like an, ex- an exciting experiment. Like well, a juice box full of beer.
3: You could do pouches like pillows. I mean,
0: look at the the Soda Streams. If you don't use the specific Soda Stream bottles and you don't add your flavoring after it's carbonated. It explodes everywhere and things get real. Did you find this out <laughs> recently? No, I have, I have, a, I have a friend of a friend who... who learned had, it the hard ...had way. an experience. Okay. In your house, though? Uh, no. Oh. no. No, not in my house. My house is a very controlled atmosphere. Yeah,
3: you guys, you guys are pro.
0: <laughs> yeah. If they'd done it in Pete's house, it would have been fine. It's all good. So I guess, uh, we're getting... Getting on in time? on in time, and I don't know any facts. Oh, fun um, fact of the day.
2: It's time for fun fact of the <laughs>
1: Um, No, actually, I I learned this a while ago, but uh, I was searching my brain for a food fact. And uh, the one that uh, came to mind that I really like is, you know why corned beef is called corned beef?
2: I feel like I
3: should know
1: it, this it's it's such a weird term like there's no corn right
3: Is not it around the outside
1: no actually although that is pea meal bacon yeah. it used to be pea meal like uh, ground um, up peas on the outside okay. of it that's why it's pea oh, meal bacon. God. that's cool That's like a side fact it's not corn meal but yeah that's not the fact the fact is
3: <laughs> don't be in awe of that one guys <laughs> yeah
1: that's a boring fact this is the interesting fact so corn beef comes from the an old english word corning which refers to um preserving meat in large granules of salt Ah, <sighs> corning where? Uh, oh, okay. I Actually, have yeah. no yeah. idea. That sounds like it must be related. But anyway, <laughs> so corning is a process of preserving meat in large chunks of salt. And the chunks of salt were called corns because in Old English, corn refers to any grain. Yep. It's, it, well, in, in a lot of the world, corn is whatever grain happens to be growing nearby. They refer, like, what we call corn in North America as maize. Yeah. And then they refer, generally refer corns to any kind it's, of it it's same, barley. It's the
3: same word as kernel.
1: Yeah. So it could mm. be, it could be, it could be barley or rye or okay. wheat or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so corn used to refer to any small, hard thing, including small chunks of salt that they'd use to corn meat. And then you'd have corned beef. Hmm.
3: That's super That's cool. That's neat. All right simon's fun fact of the day <laughs> oh yeah
1: okay he did that even better we that should do yeah, really that good yeah <laughs> you're hired yeah anyway. well, that's good because
3: well I just, got, <laughs> I just i just got laid off
1: <laughs> Don needs a new job doing uh doing the intro songs yeah, for things theme music uh, i I can do the falsetto really well i guess <laughs> you need no, a really right? good it was <laughs> Um, okay, so the, the, that's a good segue. You, you, you've you've just been laid off, yeah. Um, so what uh, what in the future? What what would you like to engineer?
3: Um, well, that's a very interesting question because uh, I've done a little bit of soul search in the last little while. Uh, I think I mentioned enough. so. I kind of started in automation engineering.
0: By the way, yeah, everyone, we have new mic stands. That's the weird little bazinga
3: zing yeah, noise. you we make scary like ghost sounds. Yeah, Every um, we're gonna have to look minutes. into it's that. It's a learning, it's a learning experience. They're yeah. so proud of those mic stands, you guys. We
2: look really professional, though.
1: It's, we'll have to put another picture on, on Twitter the, on the internet. Yeah. yeah, so pro It's very important. Anyway, soul searching. So um, yeah, you're talking yeah. about your dreams.
3: <laughs> I well, if we're gonna if we're gonna be upfront, yeah. So I uh, I recently got laid off. Actually, it was in between the time that I was invited to this podcast and now. And I was joking about whether or not I needed a job to be on here, because it's an engineering thing, and I'm not <laughs> technically engineering anything anymore. But um, no, I was having a tough time at the, at the consulting job, because it, to me, was a lot of just looking over other people's shoulders, and um, a lot of paperwork that didn't seem like engineering to me. And now, when I'm thinking about it, don't really want to go back to my automation job either, and so I've uh, had to, to think about it a little bit, and... And um not sure if engineering is my passion, to be perfectly honest. I was kind of, kind of went ass first into a P-Eng, to be perfectly honest. And <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I even joked earlier about kind of ending up in engineering from a science, from a science degree. Yeah, And so I'm trying to really figure out what, uh, what part of it I like, what part of it I'm good at, and, uh, you know, where I wanna kind of, what I wanna pursue to come, go from here.
1: Okay.
0: And this goes back to what we had talked about in the first episode in terms of the core of what is engineering. Like what do you, what do engineers do at the core beyond, like before they specialize that is something you can apply to all sorts of different
1: fields? Yeah, the problem solving and looking yeah. at real world problems.
3: I think that's why I didn't apply to engineering in the first place was because nobody could explain to me what it was. I had a friend who went, I had a friend who went into engineering and I, when I asked him, he's also like the least, um, I guess, language-gifted human eloquent, Yeah, he's not very good at describing stuff, and he's like, oh, (laughs) engineering is just, like, doing stuff, man. Not
1: very erudite or, what,
3: verbose? Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) He's teaching (laughs) English now, which is kind of funny. Oh, okay. Excellent. uh, He had the worst spelling. Oh, oh my God. He still does. Yeah. Um, I love you, Nick. (laughs) But, uh, no, he he couldn't explain it to me. And for me, I, I eventually kind of got a description for myself, and the idea was that, like, uh, if you're a certain engineer, you have a certain like m- like knowledge or kind of like a mental toolkit, and you use that to solve issues or problems within your domain. So for a chemical right. engineer, your toolkit has chemistry in it, and you're using chemical properties and chemical knowledge to solve chemical problems. All right. right, and that's and that's pretty much all it is. Is like you you have a you have a yeah your toolkits in your head basically, or f- and you know ideally if you're getting a little you know, hands on work that that helps too.
1: I feel like we're gonna to have to do like a side episode one day where we just like, what is engineering,
3: yeah, or yeah, get, get other answers from folks, but yeah yeah, for me, that's how I was able to once I was in engineering, that's kind of what I got from it, so you have like you know a robotics engineer you know solves robotics problems with robotic solutions with robots, basically, right,
1: so do you think you might take your your engineering toolkit and apply it to something tangentially related to engineering, or are know. you gonna go like right off the reservation
3: um I, I just booked a six-week trip to India, so I'm taking the, the esoteric route. <laughs> All right. Um, no, I've, I'm um, not really sure engineering is my passion. Soul engineer. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, no, e- I, engineer I, I, well-being. I'm going to see if I can at least like tangentially get into um, teaching and mentorship. I think that's something that uh, I've always really enjoyed, and it's something that um, – i find a lot more personal satisfaction in i think a lot of the engineering i did like i really didn't get a lot of satisfaction out of like okay you know these guys were making you know x amount of dollars making x amount of chocolate sauce and like gosh darn it we did it now now they're making more money so (laughs) glad we
0: made it right
3: and I, i just can't like you know i i don't have like the kind of like I, I take the pride in the work that i'm doing but it didn't really didn't really give me any kind of fulfillment or any kind of lasting satisfaction and i came to a point where i couldn't fake it anymore and i needed i needed to have that passion to really be good at my job yeah and it really yeah it really came actually it's funny it all of it kind of in the last two weeks really came to a head and so i'm um, yeah i'm really trying to figure out you know um just because i can do engineering is, is whether or not do i whether or not i want to do it is is a different story and i think that you you really have to want it to to be a great engineer
0: yeah i i have an interesting side story that i've shared with you where when i was finishing undergrad i was hired by the university to call people coming into my programs little students little students, little students younger students all um, those little tiny students little. you're
3: 62 and i'm 64 they're all little yeah <laughs>
0: um and my job was to basically talk to them about the program and uh obviously you want to bring them in you want them to be excited they are already super excited but a lot of it comes down to you kind of trying to convey to them that passion like that that need for when you're going to do engineering as an undergrad especially in the program i was in you need to really want it you need to be into it and be all in and focused and passionate about it because otherwise it's just not gonna happen you're not gonna have the motivation to put in the hours and the work you need to do to
1: get it done and uh i feel like this is uh, another thing like we can a whole other episode yeah we should spin off yeah. another episode we got we got what is engineering and then why why, why would you want yeah, to like, engineer yeah no
3: i i was and that's i a, was
1: one yeah spoiler it's a good i wanted question. to do that. i don't yeah. think enough
3: people ask themselves yeah because like i said i i kind of ended up there by accident and you know by the time i got there i realized like well there's other things maybe I'd rather be doing,
2: mm-hmm. and you don't know in high school. <laughs> well,
0: no, and even you don't know universe. ever. Like I, I, I had the same thing when I was not doing co-op terms, and I would be a code monkey, software guy, and I'm like, I'm doing the same thing hundreds of other people have done in other places, other times, and why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. This and, and is not fulfilling not to, and at all. Not to
3: take away from that either. I mean, if if coding something that other people have coded before, I don't, I, like, I, I, I don't. It's, it's a
1: question it's, of satisfaction yeah, yeah you can make it, really it better is. faster stronger sure.
3: yeah you can do any number yeah. of things but and I, I just think for myself like i got so preoccupied with finishing this engineering degree that i didn't didn't bother to figure out whether or you know whether or not i really wanted to <laughs> right because you school pretty stressful right so mm-hmm. you have your people giving you terms and deadlines and things
1: i feel like i put a gets, lot of thought into whether i wanted yeah. to keep putting myself through that but i don't know
3: like i'm i'm the kind of like i have a like my personality is more of like a persistent one Mm. so i kind of stick to what i you know like i stick to what i start Mm. even that master's degree like i should have walked away
0: that was that yeah that's a whole other story that was a rough master's degree it was
3: it was a rough time but i my my folk like my personal philosophy is you know bad choices bad choices but you finish what you start and if you know if you don't uh if you don't end up using it later, you don't. You know, at least at least you finish that. You have some personal satisfaction there, and if it's not yeah. career satisfaction, you, you can handle that down the road.
0: There's a lot to be said for that. Okay, so that that's. I think we'll put let's that finish that. what we started. Sure, and <laughs> uh, maybe we'll we'll circle back again in a future episode to talk more about existential life choices.
1: Yeah, yeah I, if, uh, <laughs> if people listening like that idea, feel f- idea, feel free to let us know. You know well, we'll uh, I like it, so we're just going to do it anyway. Yeah, that's probably true.
3: Yeah, <laughs> but at least we'll know whether people
1: are going to complain ahead of time. Cool.
3: Yeah. All right.
1: So uh, now that you've uh, had a chance to finish your beer, or your uh, your your opinion is still positive. Yes. And um, that's uh, you want to remind people what was you were drinking. That was hard to please when it comes to beer too. So that's saying something. Well, yep. it's all just oh. sugar and water and it's time. All just right? Sugar, water,
3: and time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, the, the ingredients are pretty fundamental. Um, no, it's really good. It's this launch air uh, beer. It's a classic vice by Hop City and. Yeah, I, I like. I'm partial to those kinds of beers, anyways. We
1: can make wait. up a metric if you want. Well, Ceph1 implemented a out of ten ranking. So,
3: oh, an out of ten ranking. You can also give
1: three thumbs up or five, stars. two hearts, three stars. Yeah. Actually, even better if we change the ranking system every time, so every there's time. no comparison. Right. So, okay. how many yeah.
2: lawn chairs?
3: Uh, this one's in Tetra Packs. Okay. What
0: degree do you aim, many, do? You de- decline the lawn chair. The <laughs> how much lounging is going on?
3: <laughs> okay. Th- yeah, out of a, on a lounge scale of like. Yeah like vertical to horizontal yeah i guess like proper victorian posture to like lazy cat <laughs> <laughs> i like that scale that's yeah, a lazy cat that's a good one all nice. right awesome <laughs> right. um, because we've, we've all seen that cat oh yeah, yeah. okay he's just, just just enjoy he's, he's loving a cool life. cat yeah i gotcha <laughs> it's the cat's pajamas oh my god <laughs> i like that you know that expression i think i think we're gonna be friends all right <laughs> okay
1: um so we're gonna wrap up what do we want to tell people about the things on the internet, all the things that We have a see. website. Oh yeah. What yeah. is our website, Abby?
2: Howdo.engineer is our website.
1: Go team. And what can you do on that website?
2: Uh you can listen to episodes, you can contact us.
1: Yep, feedback. feedback. At- we got an email this week. Oh. Yeah. Man, we did. so so that proves we we're actually listening to the email too. Someone's actually checking it so you can email it.
2: We, re- we replied. The- Yes, yep. we replied. Was
3: it one of your viewers listening to your emails? Yes.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm not going to live that one
0: down, am I? No. And um, this week, I didn't swear, so feedback received.
1: <laughs> was that what it was about? No. Oh, okay. Part of it. Part of it was about that. All right. And uh, you can also get us on, uh, if you want a feedback, you can get us on Twitter. Yep. At HowDoYouEng. At uh, how end? How and there's something on Pinterest we still don't actually know. We have pins and stuff, yeah. We pin some things. Yeah. yeah. On Google Plus, you can search for us and we come up.
0: There's that. <laughs> if, if, if anyone's on Google Plus, <laughs> I gotta bite back like facetious comments about <laughs> Google Plus, but um, but also uh, iTunes is key. If you rate us on iTunes, Icoon, I- <laughs> If you rate us on iTunes, then good things happen and we can keep making this for actual money. If you think
1: this is great, more people will see it if it's on iTunes and everyone hear. loves it. Yeah, hear it. See it, because we see we, it on iTunes. You don't, are you, are you listening to the listings on iTunes? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to defend that one.
0: iTunes is good. We, right. we continue to spend our own money. So one day,
1: maybe we'll spend corporations' money. <laughs> yeah. Someday we're going to have sponsors and it's going to be awesome. Yep. All right. I think that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Thanks. All told. Yes. Thanks, Dom. Thank you, Dom. Oh, thank you, so thank much you guys. Coming that was, it was good. A, it was a pleasure. I think we're going to have to come, have you, uh, have you back for our philosophical argument.
3: Well, I, though. I get back in May. he has got time? Yeah, I have nothing but time. <laughs> Actually, talk to me when I'm back from from Asia. All right, I look well, that forward. To it. We'll do a follow up, and we'll see if I still want to do engineering,
1: or, or if you or if you've uh, rethought the whole concept of engineering. I mean, maybe you'll guess. come back with yeah. a whole I'd different like, philosophy. There, there's no such thing, you guys. <laughs> you're,
3: just, you're just fooling yourselves. You need a
1: concept of self in order for there to be engineering. <laughs> Obviously. All right, that's awesome. Thanks so much. All right, Thanks. later, guys.